listening, a very warm White Cat welcome as you're tuned in to the White Cat Outdoors podcast. White here, episode 11-ish, I think it's 11, of the White Cat Outdoors podcast. We got our buddy, Master of Shapes over there, Tommy Cat. Hey guys, hopefully I can give you some more geometry lessons, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully it's in store. And then right over there, Nick Soboleski, what's going on buddy? Oh, it is uh, going pretty good over here. That's what we like to hear. So last week, if you guys were tuned in, uh, we talked... We basically just gave a season wrap-up. We had our special guest, Rachel Zelina, on. She told us some big buck stories, and we told a few big buck stories. And just gave us gave everyone a season wrap-up, how our seasons went, what we like to do and stuff. So today we're going to get a little bit more in-depth and talk about how we go about killing these monster bucks. Except Nick, because Nick didn't kill a monster buck this year. But well, he has in the past. Yes, so he we'll, has. So we'll let it slide. So, yeah, we'll let him tell the stories. Um so yeah, I guess well, Nick, why don't you just take us away, buddy? Yeah, bring us through how Nick approaches deer season from day one. Okay, so before we get into that, while I'm hunting, I do like to stay hidden. But what I don't like to keep hidden is where we can be found on the interweb. So That's good stuff. White Cat Outdoors. You can find us on Instagram at White Cat underscore Outdoors. Uh, there's a lot of content on there. Several times a week, uh, we release podcasts there. We uh, put a spotlight on new hunters other hunters that are you know just getting outside really uh on facebook we got white cat outdoors post a lot of the same content there release podcasts keep some stuff on our stories to keep us outside frank's cracking beers yeah we are uh we got a website www.whitecatoutdoors all of our podcasts are com dot com yes all of our podcasts are there. You can read up on the hosts there. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on uh, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, pretty much all the big ones that everybody's listening Podbean to nowadays. Spotify. Come on, get your shit together. Yeah, it's there. Uh, YouTube, we're releasing some videos. We got one up there, trout fishing right now that Luke was doing. Uh, there's some other big stuff, some product reviews and stuff like that. But now that that's unhidden, yeah, I'd love to get into how I approach my deer season. But... Before you get into how I approach it, I want to get into uh, my setup and what I put a lot of my success towards. Yeah, I mean, we're all kind of the same, and Tom's just getting into it, but you and I have been doing it for a few years now. We're, you and I are getting pretty he- hot and heavy on the mobile hunting, so that's, that's going to be a pretty heavy topic today. Yes, that, that is right, Frank. So <laughs> You're an idiot. Right you are. So... So before I get into my tree stand setup, I do want to talk about my bow a little bit. Uh, I switched to, I've actually, I've been using a Matthews for about 10 years or so. This year I've pulled the trigger on a new bow. It's uh, the Lone Wolf Custom Gear Lobo. I don't think bows have triggers, Nick. Well, I mean, some releases do. The bow itself does not. Yeah, the bow itself. I pulled the trigger on purchasing this bow. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah, it's a compound, not a crossbow. Not that kind of guy. It's okay if you are. It's not me. doesn't trip your trigger to say. That's true. Trip anyway, my release. back to the content. So I got the Lobo. Um, give it just a little bit about it. It's about 33 and 13 sixteenths axle to axle, which is quite a bit bigger than what I'm used to. Uh, but we make it work. Yikes. 70-pound uh, draw, 29.5-inch draw weight. And uh, it's a great bow. Super fast. Really quiet. Absolutely love it. So onto my tree stand. I got an old, probably early 90s Lone Wolf platform from my grandpa, and I'm running XOP sticks with that right now, running about two sticks, two full lengths, and uh, absolutely love it. Uh, being mobile has been a game changer for me uh, when it gets out, when you're getting into the woods, you know, I can go into pretty much any block of woods or field edge or whatever, and I can get up in there, so... Yeah, it really helps when you're like going into a property totally blind or like when we travel, getting into a completely new area. If you're hunting public land, the ability to be mobile and get up in the air is so much more helpful than like if you're going into a new area and you could you have to hunt on the ground, you know, it makes it a lot harder as opposed to obviously being up in the air. So having these mobile setups really helps out a lot. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I'm running right now. Uh, Frank, I think he wanted to let us know what he's running, just to kind of give everybody a good idea what 
we all well, use. Some, if I could just interrupt you real quick, why don't you tell the listeners, you know, once you're up there in your lone wolf stand with your XOP sticks, what do you wear that keeps yourself hidden from these deer? A white cat outdoors hoodie. Duh. Uh, well, are we, we're talking archery season? Archery season, yeah. Okay, so let's do a little quick breakdown. Uh, I got my visor with my crazy hair. And that's a white my white cat outdoors staple. Yep. That uh it's actually got a white cat outdoors patch on it. Uh this is a second edition. Lost my first one. It's a good luck hat. Uh, I killed my biggest buck, my first buck. Pretty much every buck I've killed with a bow has been with that hat on. Excuse me. On down to the torso. Usually I got my white cat hoodie. Uh, I wear a vest over that, um, and some sort of earth tone colored pants. I'm not a huge advocate on camo. It, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I just I feel like I can get more quality clothing um, at a cheaper price without being covered in a name brand camo. I've definitely always been of that belief. You can definitely get cheaper clothes and not necessarily better clothes, but same quality clothes for a lot cheaper if you don't get camo, if you just go with classic earth tones. And that's worked pretty well with me. I usually hunt pretty low um, for most people. Uh, with two, I use, like I said, two sticks in my stand, so I'm usually in that. 12 to 15 range which is really about a ladder stand but i'm also tucking myself into some pretty thick trees and blending in pretty well and i haven't had any issues with being spotted or skylighted or anything or skylined sorry but yeah that's that's my setup i'm the same way like i like to i don't get as high as most people i'm typically in that 12 foot range and i use an xop hand climber and i've had it for quite a few years now probably four years i would say but um that's what I pretty much do all of my hunting with, and you know, I, I take it everywhere I go, and that's what I spend almost all of my time in archery with. I, I usually hunt more ladder stands or lock-ons in rifle season, but in archery, I'm pretty much all with my XOP hand climber, and like Nick said, I usually stay a little bit lower than everyone normally does. I'm a 12-foot guy, and I have like a 15-foot bow rope, and I never go above that so that's usually what i'm rocking with and as far as camo goes like i said i completely agree with nick on rocking the earth tones as opposed to your name brand camos so that's pretty much all frank's got set up tom you want to give us a little rundown actually frank you didn't talk about your bow i have been a martin guy my whole life my dad's always been a martin guy and so when i was 10 i think 10 or 11 uh, my dad bought me a Martin Leopard. It's a pretty sweet ride for a while. I shot that until two years ago. I bought another Martin. It's a Phoenix Inferno. It was the first fire they made, or the first fire, the first bow they made after they had the fire at the plant, and that's a 33-inch axle-to-axle bow, which, again, like Nick said, it was longer than I was used to. My Leopard was like a 29-inch bow, so it was a pretty big change of pace but i definitely love the bow it's a little heavier than most people like but in my opinion i like a heavier bow because it just helps you stay a little bit more rock solid on your target so yeah that's what i'm rocking tommy where are you at so here's the deal i have been for a long time rocking a summit titan climbing tree stand but just this past christmas my brother hooked me up with a xop mobile setup with the platform and sticks and what have you so i'm really eager to get out there and try that this year it's just i think it's going to help me because with the climbing tree stands it's tough to get into a tree with a lot of branches i usually you know try and find one that you can go 15 feet up without any branches because you know you don't want to be unhooking your straps and everything it's just a pain yeah i've played that game before and it's definitely not a safe game to play yeah, so I feel like I can be more versatile if I get into a area with, you know, smaller trees, I'll still be able to get up there and climb. And of course, I do have my white cat outdoors visor with the wild hair. I forgot to mention I rock that. We we all rock the same hats. Yeah. And usually I have my Los Angeles Raiders gray hoodie on. And I think you mentioned that in a previous podcast. I did. Yep, yeah, it's part of my good luck, you know. Over top of that, I have my White Cat Outdoors hoodie, and I still do wear, you know, your traditional camo. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing earth tones, but 
you know, how I become one with the woods. I feel like I blend in more. I don't know. I don't think it makes a huge difference. I think the biggest thing, as long as you're one, you just, you just got to bow to your sensei before you walk in. Yeah. I think a lot of, I think a lot of it's confidence too. If, uh, wearing camo keeps you confident while you're in the tree and it makes you feel like you're hidden, then by all means rock it. I think honestly, the biggest thing is just sitting still. Yeah. I, that's by far the best camo is just not friggin' moving. If, you got deer out in front of you, stay still. No matter what you could be, you know, in rifle season, you wear blaze orange. If you sit still, they're not going to see you. Yeah. That's plain so and simple. Don't give them any reason to look up in that tree and you'll be good to go. But I use a uh, Prime Impact bow. Just recently started using it. Wicked fast. It's a little bit heavy. It's a little bit large for a whitetail bow, but it gets the job done. I'm really liking it. Super accurate bow. I think the IBO is 340. Fastest bow I've ever shot. Back walls, rock Does it solid. Kick a lot? No, very minimal kick. Believe it or not. Huh, yeah. How about that? It's nice. I like it a lot. But it's it's been good to me. So I'm gonna keep using her. I kind of just put two and two to, or three and three together here. Uh, that we're all actually have recently upgraded to a lot bigger and heavier bows, um, and we all shoot quite a bit throughout the year. And I. I I've noticed, I mean, we all shoot really, really well with these heavier and longer bows because, I mean, bottom line is it's not like you're holding on target for that long. And I think a heavier bow, to me, is way more accurate. It's more steady, especially for longer shots. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been a benefit like to, for all of us. Yeah, and I like to practice, like when you like when we're all shooting together, I like to practice holding my bow as long as possible. Like you said, you're not holding your bow for all that long, but it's nice to know that you can like, because you never know what's going to happen when you have a deer right in front of you. You know, you could, he just needs to take one more step to get out in front of you and you are already drawn back waiting and you have to wait, you know, for a minute or whatever, you know, it's nice to practice holding up those bows that are a little bit heavier. So if you do have to wait a little bit longer in the woods, you're good to go. So now we've got our setups down. So let's go back to Nick and have him tell us about how he sets up early season archery. Yeah, yeah. so as Tom said, we're going to kind of go through... Um, we're going to go through all phases of deer season tonight, guys. It's, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're definitely going to... You know, we, I just want to cover uh, all the different places, how we... Or different times of the year and how we approach it. But uh, like Tom said, we're going to start with me in early season because that's seems to be when I get most of my success. So... I think a big key for me, obviously, is being mobile. Um, I like to – mobile mobility has been a uh, huge factor in my success over the years, uh, whether it was climbers or lock-ons or uh, even doing a little bit of hunting from the ground. Being able to move and adapt to, this, uh, to the sign you're seeing is crucial uh, for success. But um, when it comes to early season hunting, I try to be – in the morning, I like to be in between – Bedding and food um, closer towards bedding. And I like to get in really, really early, like hour and, hour to hour and a half before light. I got My grandpa gives me a lot of grief sometimes getting in there that early, um, but it's paid off for me multiple times. So what I'll do is I'll – I don't even necessarily know the exact tree. I kind of leave my instincts for that. I'll uh, head into the woods where I generally know where you know where they're going to be feeding, where they're going to be bedding. That's the kind of stuff I figure out over the years of hunting that property or scouting in the throughout the summer. But once I've figured out that general trail that they're going to be following between food and bedding, I try and hug that bedding and be ready for when they're just getting back in there to lay down for the or for the morning. Um, and that seems to be a good spot where they're you know the the uh, they think that they're safe, and that's just how I like them. And to uh, reference one of my best bucks I ever got, it was just that scenario. I was set up right on the edge of the woods, um, right on, like, basically there was some high goldenrods that were, uh, was uh, bedding, basically, for these bucks that were traveling through there, and and does were in there, too. And then there was uh, a food source on each side, so I kind of sat in between and waited. the food's so good. (laughs) The food tastes great. (laughs) Check that video out if you haven't seen it. It's good stuff. But uh, So basically I get out into my tree and I'm setting up, climb up. I'm using a climber at this point. I'm telling Tom, you know, I'm already up. Tom, I don't even know if had, he didn't even gotten in his truck to get to it where he was hunting that morning yet. I was, 
like I said, I get in there really early. And telling Tom, obviously not really seeing a whole lot because I can't see anything. Still dark out. Yep. And another thing that I do that I didn't mention is I don't wear a headlamp in the morning uh, because I don't like the idea of putting like unnatural light in the woods. I think it uh, tips off uh, deer. I don't know if that's true or not, but it works for me. Uh, so you do. That's you like want. one thing that I've noticed, and it's I wouldn't say I recommend doing it, but I've I've worn headlamps in the woods before, and like walking out in the evening, and I've had deer. And again, like I said, I wouldn't recommend this because I'm not saying it's going to draw deer to you to shoot them and like keep them around. But like in the evening when I've been walking out, like I've had my headlamp on and I see eyes. So I shut my light off real quick. And then, you know, after a couple of minutes, I don't hear anything. I turn my light back on and they're still standing there staring at me. So I shut my light back off. And just that blinking light, since deer are such curious animals, I've actually like drawn deer closer to me and I've had deer come like from say 75 yards when I first saw their eyes into like 25 yards just because they're curious about what that blinking light is and obviously you're not going to want to do that if you want to shoot something but just for a cool interaction with a deer try the blinking light thing because I've done it on multiple occasions and brought deer literally right into my lap and it's just really really fun time. Thanks for that little uh, tech tip from White Cat over there. Yeah, it's it's pretty technologically advanced, so if if you can handle it, give it a shot. So there I was in my tree really early. It's dark. I got no light, and I'm just waiting for that sun to come up. Dramatic pause. <laughs> and then what happened? <laughs> the sun started to come up, and I'm already ready. That's the thing. That's the key. I've been there for an hour. The woods have totally calmed down. Anything that I might have spooked has totally forgotten about me. And I've heard this from other people, and just in case people haven't heard it, I do want to talk about this. So if you're just to paint a little picture in your head, pull out your your Bob Ross little man in your head, and I want you to paint this picture. It's a happy little picture. It is. You're in the tree stand. Dramatic pause. I think we've had enough of the dramatic pause. No more dramatic pause. Okay, so you're in the tree stand. (laughs) You hear that twig snap, and you your eyes lock over that direction. You are sure it's a deer. And you're just, you're scanning the woods over there. You knew that you heard something. It's not natural. It wasn't the wind. You know that there was something moving over there. And you stare at it and you stare at it. And after about five minutes, you're still, you're glancing over there, but you're not pinned on it. And about 10 minutes, you're aware that that area had a sound come from it, but you're not really looking at it anymore. Within 15 minutes to a half hour, you've totally forgotten about that stick snap over there. And I think that's the same way the deer feel in the woods. So when you're getting in there super early, you may kick a deer up. They may hear you coming in, but as long as you just get to your tree, you don't have any light. So it doesn't really, it's just, you're another animal moving through the woods and you give them that time to calm down. They could, they will follow their normal path just as they were supposed to. I've never really heard that before, but that makes a lot of sense. Like a lot of what I pay attention for and like what deer do and different travel habits that they have I pay attention to what I do and what I see other people do walking around the woods and how people behave in the woods because even though we're obviously two totally different species, all animals act very similar in the woods and to their surroundings because you know everything's like when we're out there hunting, you know we're trying to pay attention to every little thing that's going on and when a deer's out walking around, they're the prey. They don't want you know to get killed or whatever, so they're attuned to everything that's going on. So basically like what you said when you're paying attention to something for five ten minutes they do the same thing and all of a sudden they're like okay it's not a big deal anymore you know i can move on i can quit worrying about it yeah exactly and i've 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 put a lot of my success on that right there so that's why i get in super early and i typically get out of the stand super late to not spook anything for future hunts but anyway so some started to come up you know it's just starting to get to that point where you can legally shoot and like clockwork Two bucks come out of where I could see that their food source. It was a cornfield tucked way back, and they were working their way back towards bedding. Now, I had picked a tree that was about 30 yards or so away from where this bedding was, and the two bucks came out. Bigger the two gave me an opportunity right at about 32 yards, and I smoked him. He had no idea I was there. And, I mean, that hunt lasted from the time it was legal shooting hours to when he was dead was probably under an hour. Like it was, it's that 
close. So if you're trying to get in there right as that sun comes up, a lot of times you could be totally screwing that hunt up. And that's, I've gotten a couple deer in that first hour of the hunt. And a lot of it's probably a little like luck, but I think being prepared can't hurt you at all. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. But I know you guys have also had, you know, you guys also hunt year round or during, well, well, let's, yeah, year round. Yeah, year round. Doesn't matter what the season yeah. is. We just Oct- hunt. October to January. I'm not the only guy that kills big bucks early season, and well, I know that my way is not exactly the way you guys do it. I, I kind of have, what, what's the unorthodox ways of hunting. You know, I, guys give me a lot of jabs for my technique, but it works. So I do want to, you know, get Frank and Tom's opinion on their approach for their early season hunts. I wouldn't really say anything. Like any approach is an unorthodox approach because it obviously works and a lot of people do different things. So I wouldn't say like any one way is specific to, you know, killing deer like you said, but Tom and I kind of hunt the same way in the early season and we focus a lot on food pretty much. Like that's what I spend the majority of my early season doing is hunting on, you know, like farm, excuse me. Uh, I hunt a lot of bean fields during the early season and that's what I spent pretty much all of this past season was hunting bean fields during the early season. Excuse me. Just had to, had to get a good sip of this stuff. It's, it's good beer. What are you drinking over there, Frank? It's a little something new for us today. It is very different. It's, it's pretty key If you ask me, um, it's, I don't even know. You bought it. It's, it, that's exactly what it is. Lime. It, it, it's different. It's definitely different, but, so yeah, like I was saying, uh, I'm a big food plot hunter or, you know, tilled field hunter. You know, it's just, I like to hunt where the does are going to be in the early season because even though it's not like rutting yet, the bucks are always checking on where those does are for when they are ready. You know, before the rut comes in, they want to know where the does are frequenting and the bucks will start chasing in those fields long before the rut like in early october i see bucks running around pushing does around not really chasing but they're just kind of moving them around the field you know keeping them in check and knowing where they're at and another thing like for the early season i was never like a big trail cam guy until a couple years ago and i had like a target buck in mind that i had on camera and so i like really tried to hone in on that deer and I put more trail cams out and got some pictures of them. And that year, even in the early season, I was deep in the woods and I was focusing on, you know, certain spots that I knew that deer was going to be. So if I have a target buck in mind and I know where he's frequenting, that's where I try to spend most of my time. I shy away from the food sources if I know he's not hanging out there. So other than that, you know, that one specific time when I picked out a deer and I knew where he was, I spend the majority of my time on the food sources because whether he's, you know, spending most of his time somewhere else, you know, all bucks are going to frequent food at some point, whether or not it's in daylight hours, you never know, but you're usually going to get eyes on the deer that you want to see if you're hunting food in the early season. Tom, I know you have a similar approach to early season hunting as Frank does. So... My mind works in a lot of different ways. and Most ways don't make a lot of sense. No, but. but when it comes to early season archery, yeah. It's a little bit, I don't want to call it complex, but i got a lot going on upstairs. And I focus food very hard, okay? Whether it be a food plot, a field, or food in the woods, whether it's apples or acorns. Or browse. bait piles. No, don't, not, not a big bait pile guy. Huge bait pile guy. No, I don't bait deer. <laughs> if you are in a state that baits deer, um, I honestly I'd probably do that because it sounds like a pretty great tactic as long as it's legal, give you a good shot opportunity. But the states where I hunt, it's not legal, so I don't do it. But if it were legal, honestly, I probably would. Anyway, so here's the deal. If I'm hunting an area that has, you know, a lot of maple trees and a lot of cherry trees, you know, stuff like that that doesn't produce food. Is this an area that you're used to hunting, perhaps? Maybe like a headquarters somewhere that's loaded with maples and cherries? Yes, the White Cat Outdoors headquarters is loaded with cherries. 
But here's the catch. There's also a big old apple orchard. Yeah, there's no those cherry trees don't have any cherries on them. Wrong kind of cherry tree. It says cherry right in the name, and they're not just loaded with cherries. There's not a single cherry I've ever seen it. Yeah, I've so the deer, they're not there. eating these cherries because there are no cherries. But Maybe I t- they're eating all the cherries, and that's why we never see the cherries. They're, the deer are climbing up in the trees and eating the cherries before they have a chance well, to that, get Well, that ground. actually makes a lot of sense because I don't know if you've noticed. Um, you ever found a hanger while looking for sheds? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have not, and I think that's why. I think that they're... I'm not hunting, or I'm not shed hunting in areas with cherry trees where they're climbing up there to get the cherries. Yeah, so that that's probably why a lot of people miss out on sheds because they're 25 feet. Because cherries canopies are way up high, so when the deer are climbing up there to get at those cherries, that's where they're leaving their sheds. So if you know, get your climber out or bring a ladder with you when you're shed hunting. And I'd I'd like to make a quick little point here about shed hunting. I was going to say this is something me and Tom were discussing while shed hunting the other day that I don't think enough hunters know about. Or take seriously, so I do want Tom to talk about this. And are you, are you really going to talk more about the cherry thing? Because that's not for real. No, no, no it's this, this is, is legit serious. for for when, shed hunting. Like I think people need to hear this. Okay. When you're well, out there just, shed just, hunting, could you just give him a disclaimer that the cherry thing's not real? Yeah, cherry thing not real. This very real. When you find a shed, that's awesome. You know, take your picture with it, post it on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever you want. Lat longs, but all that. Make sure you put that shed back because when that buck comes back next year to you know put his rack back on to continue growing, if you take that shed home with you, he, he's not going to find his sheds. He's not going to be able to regrow that rack, and he's going to have to start from a spike again. And that's so, why where the saying comes from, once a spike, always a spike. Well, that's my frustration. you got all these guys out there that are complaining that they see all these bucks with you know spike racks, four corns, and but same guys out there collecting sheds and making Christmas trees and chandeliers out of them. If you leave them there for the buck to pick back up, he that's how you end up with those world class whitetails out there. Yeah, how many four points have you seen with a massive body? It's probably All the because time. it's like a four and a half year old four point that you know he probably had a hundred and forty inch rack last year. But you Some, had to go and pick it. Someone up. picked up his sheds. Now it's didn't sitting put on your back. coffee table, and he can't grow it anymore. Yeah, he went to find his sheds to continue growing them and they're gone so so it's i mean have some respect for the animal when you find a shed take your pictures do what you want but put it back where you found it yeah that buck needs to pick it up so he can grow into a very nice respectable whitetail another disclaimer that's also false (laughs) we i was we were shed news we were shed hunting the other day and i was just joking with my brother nick and i Thought it was a little comical. We'll add in. Tell you what, Tom, I really appreciate you. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's so much less funny if we explain it though. It's it's funnier if you just leave them. You know, it's to their imagination. Yeah. Anyway, we should have left them with the cherry thing too. They could have been taking that as fact. Well, we could just cut it out. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're gonna leave it. So anyway, back to early season. I hunt food, and here's the thing. Whitetail. I. This is my opinion. You can take it with a grain of salt whatever if they can eat while they're still in cover i think you know they're gonna do that so if you're if you got property that has a big apple orchard on it you know them deer they're gonna eat the apples they're gonna feel safe in that apple orchard because typically it's pretty thick around there go there it's safe i swear that's another thing like i've always preached to people and even though you know like i said i hunt food in the early season but if you if you watch deer when they're just walking through the woods through even open timber, they are always chewing on something. They don't have to go out of their way to find food. Food is a good place to find them, but it's not 100% necessary for them to go to a food plot. If you just watch them walk around through the cherry trees, they're always nibbling on cherries or something. You know, there's browsing. They're gonna, yeah, they're gonna find something to chew on, so they don't have to go to a cornfield to eat something. So right. So if I'm hunting a place that's got a lot of apple trees or a lot of oak trees, especially, I won't focus on the food plots and fields as much. I will focus more on, you know, hunting the acorns, hunting the apple orchard because they feel safe while still getting a full belly. Now, if you're hunting a place where there is a lot of maple trees, a lot of cherry trees, or, you know, birch trees, stuff like that, then that's when I focus more on the food plot. Well, don't they drink the maple syrup that comes out of the trees? 
if the farmer's nice enough, then yeah, the deer will, you know, drink the maple syrup if it's tapped. But, you know, if they're not drinking the maple syrup and there's not food trees like apple trees and oak trees, then that's when I really focus on the food plots in the fields. And I break it down into, you know, my morning hunt and my evening hunt. So in the morning is when I like to focus on a food plot that's near bedding. Okay, so early season, I focus a lot on like clover food plots. It's a good early season food source. So, you know, you're set up on the edge of your food plot and you're near bedding. A lot of times those deer, they come off the fields. They'll come into the food plot for a quick bedtime snack and then they go into their bedding. So, you know, I don't like going into the fields early morning because a lot of times deer are still out there. I don't like kicking them out there in the morning. But then on the evening, that's when I like to hunt field edges, you know, close close to bedding so catch them coming out into the field whether it be corn soybeans you know anything that farmers grow and alfalfa is a really good one early season so that's kind of how i focus my early archery season is primarily around food yeah see actually i'm kind of contradicting you a little bit there when it comes to the evening hunts i didn't really cover that because i just i kill so often in the mornings and I don't really hunt the evenings much because I'm usually done by then. But when I do have to get in there for an evening hunt, I usually don't even sit field edges for that. I like to be back in the woods because too many times I had happen where the buck I wanted to kill, I get visual of him right as it's getting dark and I don't get an opportunity to kill him because he's, you know, 50 yards back in the woods waiting for it to be dark for him to come out to the fields. It's happened too many times to me, so I started hunting, you know, 60 yards in the woods so when he gets up because they're not usually bedded that far from uh bedding or i mean from a food source sorry they're always bedded no in bedding they're usually bedded in bedding yeah but anyway so they're not going to be bedded too far from their food source because the less a deer has to travel between food and bedding the safer they are so what i try and do is i push that envelope if you will on trying to get as close to their bedding as i can so as soon as they're up i can kill them I don't like to wait until they get out to the field because it ends up being too dark a lot of times. For you me. actually watched a buck stand up out of his bedding last archery season. A nice buck, too, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, I could have killed him, too. That was um, it was a half rack. That's why I let him walk. And that was early archery season, like first yeah. or second week, right? Yeah, it was, for, it was actually my first It was first day of archery, but it was the evening sit. Um, he, I watched him stand up out of his bed. And I, I, I noticed he was there. That was what was pretty, it was the first time I've ever gotten that close to where I could see his rack once I got up into my tree. And I sat there and watched, waiting for him to come up by. In the field he was headed to, I would almost guarantee it was pitch black by the time he got to that field. And that's that was proof to me why I hunt there. I hardly ever sit fields. Well, how far was he from the food? He had to have been probably only 80 yards um, and I was so yeah, bedded right there, close to the edge. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, I could see the field edge from where I'm at. Um, but had I wait, had I put myself on that field edge, I don't think he would have came and gave me an opportunity in daylight. So that's basically my theory for me. Like I, I hardly ever sit food basically because I know that at some point that deer has to go to food. So I just try and kill them before they get there. Yeah, you just shorten up the distance. Yeah, I don't like waiting. So. I try and get in, and I mean, it's probably bit me in the ass a few times. I've kicked bucks up, put my stand in. It's happened, but I think I learned from it, so that's why I keep doing it. Yeah, anytime you can learn something, it, even if you don't kill something, you take something away from it. So we're going to get into the rut phase. That's the, uh, everybody likes the rut phase. It's magical time of the year. We all look forward to it. I don't have a ton of experience in the rut. I've only killed one buck in the rut phase. Well, that's the problem like with PA we kind of miss out on the rut like we our our archery season ends during the pre-rut we never get a full-blown rut out of our deer because our seasons you know don't line up with it. our our archery season ends before the full rut kicks in and, and there's a the, multi, couple week gap in between rifle yeah um, and it's over by the time rifle starts so we don't really get the the hard rutting activity that most states do yeah, I mean, we hunt New York, um, and they have a little bit later season. And I'll tell you what, they get some good red activity up there in New York. 
but like I said, I've only killed one buck during the rut phase. Um, well, that's kind of I'm excited for this year because our archery season is a week longer this year, so we should get you know more of the rut. Yeah, because we go to what like November fifteenth now in PA this year. I think is what ish. Yeah, yeah, it's sometime. It's it's a week later than it typically is, yeah. and it's I think it's going to be huge because it seems like you're always getting huge. that pre rut right as the season ends. Um, but for me, uh, during the rut phase, I try and hunt doe bedding in highly traveled corridors with four like doe. Um, I kind of turn off from hunting bucks and if I'm hunting a specific buck, I kind of just throw that up in the air because the rut, it's their own thing. So what I'm doing is I'm focusing more on doe activity and where I feel like the does are going to be because eventually that buck's going to come scent check them. And even if the does not there currently, bucks are constantly cruising field edges and bedding edges trying to figure out where them does are bedded, which ones are going into heat, and which ones he's going to go after first. Yeah, I'm a big travel corridor guy when it comes to, you know, pre-rut and into the rut, even though we don't get much of it. But I've always had the best luck in travel corridors. Not I completely shy away from food, except for this past year. I kind of hunted food during the, the pre-rut. But I've always had my best luck in pre-rut hunting travel corridors. My favorite spot that I pretty much religiously hunt it's where my i killed my pope and young buck a few years ago is just a straight up travel corridor it's basically just like an l shape of hemlocks and anyone that hunts deer knows that hemlocks are the hot spot so it's that l shape of hemlocks connects a big beaver swamp and a real thick nasty slashing red brush uh just just a shitty mess so I just sit right on the, the point of that L of those hemlocks, and that's where I killed my Pope and Young buck, and two years before I killed that buck, my dad killed a Pope and Young buck out of that same exact spot. It's just during, you know, from like the October 20th to November 1st, that spot is where the big bucks in that square are always traveling, is right through that travel corridor. You know, there's a ton of does that work between the swamp and that bedding area, and all the bucks that are in the square are cruising through that area during that time. And the, actually, the night that I killed my Pope and Young buck, I got in the stand late because I was arguing with some asshole that thought he owned the whole friggin' state of Pennsylvania. So I didn't get into my stand right when I wanted to. And I killed the buck pretty quick, so I didn't even get to sit the whole evening. And so I was probably on stand for like an hour, hour and a half, and I saw six different bucks in that amount of time, and the sixth one I saw was the Pope and Young buck that I ended up killing. So in, I've always had like that same type of luck, not always you know, seeing those monster bucks that cruise the area, but during that time span in the pre-rut, that little travel corridor, and not just in that spot, like if you find those travel corridors on any property it's going to be productive during that pre-rut stage. You know, the bucks are out there checking their does, finding, you know, where they want to settle in for the rut. And it's, it's always going to be a hot spot for putting your eyes on bucks. So me and Frank both obviously are hunting corridors for traveling and doe bedding. Tommy, where are you lying or where are you putting your stand when it comes to the rut phase? See, you guys, you shy away from the fields and food sources, but I, I'm, I don't necessarily say I shy away from them because how I look at the rut is I I think the bucks are going to be where the does are. And a lot of times I have sat a food plot or a field and you have a doe come out there and not long after that, here comes a buck chasing her. And so That's kind of what I did this year. I changed up what I normally do and I... Like I said, I usually get away from food sources and get more into the woods, into the travel corridors. But this year was the first year I I had one buck in mind, and I knew that he was always coming out to this field. So I hunted that field pretty much every day of the season in the evening. And I saw a ton of bucks chasing does out in this field almost every single day. I was sending you guys videos every day of nice bucks, you know, in through the whole season all the way to the very end, you know, in the halfway through November. But it, like I said, it's just, that goes to show that there's no one specific way that you're going to find and kill big bucks. They're going to be all over the place. And it's just, 
sometimes it's just the luck of the draw. Right. But so if I'm, you know, hunting food sources and I'm just not seeing a lot of chasing activity, then I'll, I will switch up and I focus a lot on the downwind side of bedding and food. Because in my mind, those bucks, they're going to be running downwind of bedding and food, scent checking those areas for doe. About how far off that food are you sitting when you're saying you're sitting on the downwind side? Four or five yards. No. Um, <laughs> I usually position myself like 50 to 60 yards okay. off the edge of the bedding or off the edge of the field. And why is that? Just through likes to party. observing and seeing bucks scent check those areas, it seems like they're usually you know 40 to 60 yards Okay, so you're putting yourself where you can still see the food, but at the same time, you're in an area where you believe that those deer are going to be traveling so you can get a nice close shot. Yeah, but I mean, that if I'm the edge of a food source, but if I'm the edge of a bed, the edge of bedding, you know, there's not always food there, so you can't always see a food source, but I can still see the bedding that I think those doe are going to be hanging out in. But yeah, usually from, I mean, my experience, they usually scent check from about 50 yards downwind of the bedding or the food. Very and nice. That's where that's where I like to set up if I'm getting a little tired of staring out into the same field, you know, night after night. So, yeah, I get tired of doing that. I'm a timber guy. I'd like to as a good friend Michael Stringer always told me the deer are in the woods. There's, there's a lot of truth behind that. So, I mean, a lot of the time, you know, I'm spending my hunts hunting fields and stuff, but you know, this past year, I've slowly been transitioning to hunting more in the woods, but... He just saw the success rate for me and was like, I got to get in on it. I mean, Not I, just you. It, it's me too, Cowboy. I've had plenty of success in the field. And <laughs> I've had success in the woods. I've had success everywhere. But, just covered in success. Yeah. Showering <laughs> them down. But, yeah, so that's basically our... Uh, well, actually... Yeah, I was going to say, before we just jump away from we're, the... Rut, we're talking about this Pope and Young buck, so... Like, yeah, why don't we just... Why don't we... Uh, Frank, do you mind? Uh, you, you want to know the story? Yeah, let's hear. I think the listeners want to know. You say, I'm sitting here. I've heard the story, but I'm like, you can't just talk about smoking big bucks and not talk about it. It's like bringing Rachel Zelina on and not talking about killing 150s. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, you can't just mention a Pope and Young buck being killed in PA and just graze right over it. All right, so I've, I feel the best way to tell a story is to start at the end and refer back to the beginning. Um, so... End of the story is this buck's 144 and 6 ace was the final score. Real nice buck, my best buck to date. And so now we will refer. What back is he, a 10 point, probably 20, 22, 21? On the outside, he's just shy of 21. Yeah. He's a nice buck. Beautiful buck. Check him out. I, I, I do believe, is he on the White Cat Outdoors Instagram page? I he should be so. in there at some point. Um, but I do, what I do, actually, when we did our post a couple months ago now about how. You guys like show you off your trophies for their, like whether it's a euro or a shoulder mount. He was in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you watch these podcasts on YouTube, it's going to be on the cover art. So oh, check this buck out. He's a dandy. Here's the story. Back to you, Frank. Thanks, T. I appreciate you. So there I was. Um, I did notice you gave finger guns across the table while referring to a bow hunt. Well, I think you guys should maybe like instead of finger guns, you could like. Draw your bows back at each other. Back right. to you, White. All right. Now now that we're ready. Um, so there I was. It was actually, it was the day before my birthday. October. My Happy birthday. birthday. Is October, thank you. My birthday is October 26th. So there I was, October 25th. And I was hunting right off of this. So that'd be what you consider like a pre-rut phase. Correct? Yeah, it's definitely pre-rut. And so I get in. I wasn't in the woods yet. I parked at this one. It's like at a little, it's called Wainer Park. Um, hey, are you just going to tell them right where your tree is? No. It, it's, a, it's a pretty big square. Um, so I park my truck, and some guy pulls up behind me. He's like, hey, uh, where are you hunting at? I was like, oh, I'm just hunting right over here. In know, the woods? Yeah. I'm about 12 feet the off woods. the bottom of the ground. <laughs> and he was like, oh, uh, that's my property. You're not allowed to hunt there. And I was like, well, I know it's not your property. You know, I've, I've known... Yeah, I know where I'm at. Let's see how this plays out. Oh, it is yours. Yeah, so I was like, you know, I don't want to argue with this guy. I'm just going to, you know, whatever. I got stands all over that square. I was like, you know what, fine. If that's your property, I'll let you believe that for the day, and I'll go hunt over here in this spot. He's like, oh, that's my property too. 
And I was like, okay, now I know you're just being stupid. And I was like, I know that's not your property. I straight up said it to him at that point. He's like, no, that's my property. I don't let anybody over there. I was like, okay, whatever you say, I'll get out of here. So, and right where I was hunting is right by the municipal building for the township. So I drove right out, parked in their parking lot, went inside. I was like, hey, I need it. And this was before Onyx was a thing. Um, Great little feature you can use for hunting. Yeah, for sure. So I couldn't just pull up my phone and, you know, fact check them right there. So I went to the municipal building and I was like, hey, can you print me out some property maps? I got a guy giving me a hard time right now. So I get them and I go, and this guy owns a business not too far away. So I drive over to his business. I walk in the place and I, I slap the maps down on the table. I was like, this is what you own. This and I circled where my stands are, where I told See, him. See morons here. <laughs> morons here. Yeah, that's basically what I did to him. And I was like, "So this is where my stands are. This is what you own. Don't try to throw me off a property that you don't own. Like, I know I'm allowed to be here. I don't own the property, but I have written permission from the landowners. So don't you try to tell me that you own the stuff." So I was all jacked off, and I was like, "You know, I don't. I don't even want to hunt today." But I was like. You know, those are the days that you got to get in the woods no matter what. When you're mad and you don't even want to hunt, you got to get in the woods. You got to get outside. My dad's got a hell of a story for that when we can get him on here. Yeah. It's an early season buck too, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I want to get your dad and my dad on for a Father's Day special here soon. So there I was. I, I finally tell this guy, you know, I give him what for, and I go back, park my truck, and I was just irritated, so I was like, you know, my day's ruined, but I'm going to go. So sp- mad you could spit, huh? I, I was already spitting. Oh, boy. That's how mad I was. So I go walking into the woods, spitting mad. and So pissed you could poop? I was so pissed I could poop. <laughs> and on my, I was halfway to my stand. I bump a buck. And it, was, it wasn't a big buck. You know, I, from what I could see, it was a four Probably point. just a small 160 or... Yeah, something like that. Some trash buck. And... So I keep walking, you know, already, and that just further solidified the fact that I was not happy about everything that was going on. I climb up in my stand, and I sit there, and about 10 minutes later, a little buck comes in. I was like, okay, you know, at least I'm putting eyes on a deer tonight, you know, night's not a total waste. So he moves on through, and then another little buck shows up, and he plays around a little bit, monkey farting around, and he walks off. Then another buck shows up, and it was just another little It was just a, a pretty steady flow of small bucks. And then a decent buck showed up. He was an 11 point and wasn't like a monster. Look at this guy. A decent buck, kind of small. It was an 11 point. Yeah, get it, out of here. It had a small frame. Yeah. The right. points were there. The frame wasn't. No cage. Yeah, exactly. No cage. So I'm looking at him. I had my bow in my hand. I was like, ah, you know what? You need another year. I'll give it to you. So I hang Wait, my bow. You had your bow in hand and you let him pass? Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, that's usually, that's where I draw the line. If the bow goes in my hand, there's no turning it's, back. It's night-night. It might as well point. be drawn back because once it's in my hand. Whew. Yeah, no, I had bow in hand. I was I was giving him a hard look, but I was like, no, you, you need another year. See, the way I look at it, if you have to think about it, then, you know, it might pass. But me, I usually, I don't think too much. I, I react. Hammer <laughs> down. But Let fly. There have been bucks where I have, eh, should I shoot it? And then I don't shoot it. But if I don't have that split second where I have to think, it's game over. Yeah. So, well, he gave me plenty of time to think. And, you know, I looked him over and I was like, he definitely needs to go one more year. And I honestly do think I had an opportunity at that buck the following year. But I didn't get to close the deal on him. Somebody else did. And he was a really good buck. Um but that's for another day. So that buck moves on through, and then another four-point shows up. So you're just just buck, 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 buck. It was just nonstop. And like I said, this whole thing, you know, from when I started walking into the woods and bumped that first buck until I killed mine was an hour, hour and a half. So it was, you know, every it was just a nonstop flow of small bucks. Deer parade. Exactly. They were parading themselves around that spot. So... I let that one go. The other small one comes in, and I'm looking at that deer, and then I hear two deer coming from two different directions. And I was like, oh, man. And the way my stand is set up, I'm in a hemlock, and there's a maple, like, right in front of me. 
So I kind of got to pick which way I want to go. Do you have go. it tapped it's, for syrup? No, it's it's not a syrup tree. Oh. Um, it's a hard maple, not a soft maple. So the way th- this tree is like really close to me, like I can't just freely turn back and forth. And I got to pick which way I want to set up. So I think this one buck is going to come in first because it sounded closer. So I was like, okay. Sounded heavier on the hoof. It sure did. And I, I didn't even know there were bucks at this point. I didn't have eyes on either one. I could just hear him walking. So I set up to shoot this buck, or deer, I should say. And he's coming straight at me. So I set up on the one side of that maple. And he's coming in, and I was like, oh, man, it's a done deal. And he's literally walking. I said my dad shot Have you up. seen him at this point? No, not yet, because it's through the hemlocks. I couldn't see him. I, I knew he was probably about 30 yards away from me at this point, but I hadn't put eyes on him. And my dad killed a buck in the same spot, like I said, and it literally did the exact same thing this buck was doing, and it turned and walked you know, right to the right side of the tree, and it was a perfect shot. So I set up for that, and I'd seen plenty of other bucks do that. So I was like, yeah, this is what he's going to do. And... As it turns out, he did not do that. So I'm set up on the right side of this maple tree, and he turns to the left. And I could hear him turn and go on the other side of this hemlock tree that was farther out in front of me. So I knew I had to get around the maple, but, you know, I couldn't see him yet. So I start leaning back to get my bow around the tree. And as I'm leaning, I swear to God, this you can't make this up, I'm leaning back around this tree, and my broadhead catches on the maple and it knocks it off of my rest and it sounds like a friggin' gong hitting off of my riser like it was so loud i thought for sure this buck was gonna hear me that's all the time we got for tonight folks uh if you want to hear how the rest of the story goes and see if frank can recover from this big oops big time i'm a big Oof. oops guy tune back in next week and we're going to finish this story and continue our saga of how we hunt bucks throughout the season. So uh, make sure you guys are staying tuned and getting outside. <laughs>